Welcome to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Nathan Stacken with you alongside my good friend and co-host, sports director at KRN Radio in Mitchell, South Dakota. None other than Travis Krins. Travis, how we doing? I'm doing good. 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 Better Easter. than... Uh, what's that? Easter came and went. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, uh, you know, certain days on the calendar go by and you feel like uh, Easter, that first spring uh, holiday... And once you get to Memorial Day, if you like, it's summer. So, there yeah, we got uh, all five, five full weeks of spring coming up. I, I don't think many people in, in Bismarck and western North Dakota think it's spring right now. My not North Dakota got three feet of snow last week. Like, that's a storm I want to see next year. I don't need that now, but it is another amazing, amazingly powerful April winter storm here in the upper Midwest. I don't know if possible. They say what one one foot of snow is one inch of water, one inch of rain. Yes, yes, roughly. So this would have been three inches of rain. It would have been rain, right? Yep, yep. Which is quite a bit. So yeah, two to three feet in some areas. It's we barely got anything at all. It's um, yeah, I don't know how it's possible get that much snow. Well, they're talking rain uh, later this week and possibly thunderstorms, so that's... Good yeah, we temp- got, uh, it was what, Monday? I guess it was one week ago, I think, Monday. Yeah, we had some thunderstorms roll by here. We didn't get much, but it was, hey, we had some, a lot of red, a lot of red on the map, and that was... Uh, some early, early thunderstorms. Well, yeah, I think sure. there were a couple of tornadoes in, like, southeastern Minnesota, that one that wiped out oh. half a town or something like that. That That's not oh. good. And uh, Iowa had some weather. Around Sioux Falls, I think, had some weather. So it's crazy. Springtime, it, it's just absolutely bonkers. Um Bonkers spring. If I, I don't, if you can't even call it spring because the temperatures. I mean, we're here. We're not even in, above forty degrees today uh, on Monday, the Monday following Easter in St. Cloud. I mean, it's just it's baffling. Yeah, it's, uh, we've been colder than average. Looks like we're going to finally get back to the sixties and seventies here by the middle or end of the week. We should be should be good. But the wind, Jesus Christ, I'm done with the wind. I know it's windy here a lot, but. It's just been windy for a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, we had what? It was 67 miles per hour wind gusts that other the other day. Holy cow. Whatever it was, Wednesday, Thursday. A couple of days were, you know, 50, 60 mile per hour winds. It felt like it's the, that was the windiest it's been, you know, sustained for an entire day, I thought, that I've seen. Yeah. Where it just went on and on and on. It's like, Jesus Christ, it's. You know, forty miles an hour at least. Mm-hmm. So that that was a, one of the windier windier days I remember. No doubt, no doubt. And it, yeah, I mean, you have the fluctuation in temperature still here. It's still cold. We're gonna I think gonna get to almost seventy degrees in St. Cloud on Saturday, and then it's gonna drop back down to near fifty on Sunday. So it's it's just a fluctuation in temperatures. There's rain coming, which is fine. We need the rain. Uh, it sounds like it's gonna be an above average. Uh, temperature for the summer hopefully though there's more precipitation than there was last year so we're not in as bad of a drought it's not as hot as it was this year i mean last easter it was like 80 degrees maybe a little hotter out uh it was just absolutely 
crazy how hot it was at Easter. We have not seen that this year. Why does Easter change dates? I don't know. It's something with the, the, the moon or something like that? Easter's about Jesus and whatever the hell it's about. Mm-hmm. It can be March 31st, or it can be April 30th. I mean, because Christmas is always the 25th of December. Yes, I feel like if it's... Thanksgiving's no. always the fourth Thursday in November, so even though it can change slightly, like you you know it's one of six different dates, either November 22nd through November 28th. Yeah, no. So, I don't know. I like it a little different. Easter is the one holiday that has the most fluctuation date. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, So, some things, like, you know, so the the date in Easter is never consistent. One thing that is consistent, though, is Byron Buxton getting hurt for the Minnesota Twins. And that's where we'll begin this week. Here, uh, by the way, we're ten days away, less than ten days away from the NFL draft. Very exciting here. Um, we'll get Jeff Lloyd the second from the Lockdown Browns podcast to come on this week to talk about defensive prospects. So looking forward to that, and we'll do our big NFL mock draft preview uh, spectacular next week. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, Going to be a hard year, but uh, going back to Buxton. Here he gets injured uh, a week into the season. It's like, come on, like it's just the same story. Year after year after year, and it's very frustrating, I think, for the Twins. It's very frustrating for Buxton. Now, I don't think this is a significant injury that'll keep him out a while, right? He's just placed on the 10-day DL, is that correct? No, not even on the DL. Oh, he's not even? Okay, he's day-to-day. So that's good, Um, but he's still injured, and it's just one of those things Are how is this going to... Plague him throughout the season. Is this going to be a nagging injury? Is this going? To, how big of this is going to impact? I mean, the Twins' bats have really struggled this year in general. Thank goodness they won on Patriot Day here in Boston on Monday. That's nice to see. But um, I mean, this has got to stop at some point here. He's got to figure out a way not to get hurt. He just does normal things and he gets hurt. He slid in a second. Uh... I, I, you look at it, you, you can't figure out what he hurt here. His knee, his ankle, I guess it was his knee. But you you look at the play, like you can't even tell. I can't tell like what, what happened or what hurt. You know, so I mean, oh yeah, he sprained his ankle. His ankle went the wrong way. His leg went the wrong way. Here, I can't, I can't even see what happened. So he'll be back here by the end of the week. And, you know, you can't get... I don't get mad about it because I know what's going to happen. It's like, oh, yeah, it's going to get cold in the winter. Well, it sucks. You don't want to get cold, but, you know, there's going to be a, a time where it's, it feels like it's 20 below with the wind chill out, and that's not good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's going to be a time where Buxton's going to miss, like, a month of the season because he's going to get hurt because he's going to get hit in the hand with a pitch. He's going to run into the wall. He's going to break a finger running into a base. He's going to slide in a second base feet first and just mess up his knee. Mm-hmm. Something's going to happen, and he's going to get hurt. So, like if he, if he could play 80 games, I think that'd be great. If he could play half the games, I think that'd be tremendous. And anything over that is is great. That's why because that's why he gets a hundred million dollar deal for eight years and not a two hundred million dollar deal because mm-hmm. you don't know how many games he ever played. Well, and that's why there's so much in so many incentives in his deal. 
right? I mean, he can make so much more if he stays out on the field and performs. And that has been the difficult part, at least thus far. The Twins as a whole, four and six. Now they split with uh, their four-game series with Boston after they got swept by the Dodgers. They split with the Mariners. Uh, if we're looking at this, uh, you know, 10-game sample in, uh, this was arguably maybe the most difficult 10-game stretch they were going to have. I mean, it's a very difficult start to the season for sure. Um, offense has been lacking, though they got some hits uh, against Boston on Monday, which was nice to see. But at 4-6, and six, how do you rate the start to the season so far for the Twins? I see... Offense has been bad. The pitching's been good. They almost got no hit against Kershaw, which is fine. He's really good. Okay, speaking of that, let's just pause it right there. And do you agree with Dave Roberts pulling Kershaw after seven perfect innings and 80 pitches in that one? Yeah, I mean, it's he probably would have got a perfect game. If he, you know, needed six more outs, he probably would have gotten it. Um, it's his first start. You know, everybody blames the the early spring training and all that stuff. And I said last week there's not going to be another pitcher throw 200 innings because they just don't go that long. So, um, John Manaya with San Diego, he got pulled, I think, in his first start because he had seven no-hit innings. And the Padre bullpen gave up a hit or two. Mm-hmm. But... It's happened a couple times where somebody's not giving up a hit, and Kershaw had a perfect game when they pulled him. Um, when you have 13 strikeouts in seven innings, that's a lot, and your pitch count usually isn't that low when you have that many strikeouts. But I'm sure if he went, he would have been fine, you know, with another two innings, with another 25 pitches to fucking end his career put him on the DL, who knows? Mm-hmm. He's older. He's 33-34. He's an old 33-34. They were talking talk to him retiring this past offseason, so we'll see how much longer he wants to go, but you know, they want to they wanna win a World Series, and everybody says, oh, let's, let's pull him so he's available uh, in October, and you know, it's, it's a long season, so Mm-hmm. It would have been nice to see, but you know, I don't think it. If this happened ten years ago, people would have lost their minds. Yes, but it is. It has happened. It's happened quite a bit recently, at least with no hitters. It happens, you know, a lot. Well, and and Dave Roberts has done it uh, recently, right? Didn't he do this a couple of years ago? He did it with Rich Hill a few years ago. Yeah, it, it, it's happened more and more often. And when it first happened, people were like, oh, my God, how can you put, you got to let him go. You got to, you got to let him go no matter what. Well, sometimes you got to pull him because guys just aren't going to throw 130 pitches anymore. It just is not going to happen no matter what the game situation is. So, yeah, it it sucks because, you know, as a fan, you want to see that type of thing, but that just isn't, isn't happening. So going back to the Twins here, as you said, the, the hitting has been uh, very poor. Like Miguel Sano was, was absolutely awful. He start the season 0 for 19 or something like that, or even worse. I mean, he finally hit a home run, but, I mean, 
that's fine, whatever. Carlos Correa has not hit very well to start the season. Pitching's been okay, but Sonny Gray's ending up on the 10-day DL. A bullpen guy's ending up on the uh, 10-day DL. Um, I mean, like I said, it was we knew this was going to be a somewhat difficult start to the season just given the three teams that they had to go against. So, I mean, is there... I would expect the... The bats to start coming around here now as you get to play maybe some easier teams on your schedule here. Yeah. Where is the level of concern that you have for this team at, as of now? Like it's, I think people have to remember, this isn't a playoff team, even with all the moves they made. Nobody's making the, picking them to make the playoffs, so... It's not like they're expected to win the division, even be one of the three wild cards, so... If they're a wild card, then great. But, yeah, I don't expect them to make the playoffs, and I don't expect them to finish over 500. So anything above that is is extra. So, offense, you got to hit the ball a little bit more. It's, it was a they're, – they're major league lows and average and on base and all that stuff. And the fewest hits ever in any – what would it be, a nine-game stretch, I guess, that I'm counting today? Any nine-game stretch in Twins history, this is the fewest hits they've ever had. 50, I think, 54 hits. Ouch. Ever. Ever. So, how that happens, I'm not quite sure. They have to do better than that. And even today, they score eight runs versus Boston. They had a big eighth inning, and there was a stretch there in the eighth inning. They scored four runs. They got one hit because they had a bunch of walks. So, they Boston walked a bunch of guys. So even then, great. He scored four runs. It was on one hit. So it's not, you know, he scored some runs, but you really didn't do anything to, to drive those runs in. And it was all Boston's problem. So they got Kansas City coming up. Hopefully you can, can win a series there. And, I mean, the pitching's been good. You feel like the, the offense will come around. Mm-hmm. But Dylan Bundy has been their best pitcher, surprisingly. And... Um, Joe Ryan's been good, so they've 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 been the pitching's been good. I've been I've been happy with the uh, at least the starting rotation. I've been I've been uh, very happy. Yeah, Bundy with a .87 ERA through two starts this season, so that's good. And as you said, I mean, it's somewhat of a, a big week. I mean, so far this year they're o one and two in series. Uh, if you, you know, looking at the splits and whatnot, but if you can win these two series here this week, if you can take two or three at Kansas City, and if you can take at least two of three at home against Chicago, you win to these two series here. You're feeling maybe a little bit better about yourself as we roll on into the end of April. Uh, now that we've had this ten game sample size now for most teams. Uh, the Reds are look like they're absolutely terrible, especially since their owner, their their chairman, came out and said, uh, told Reds fans, "Hey, where are you going to go? Uh, he looks like he's a real winner, just like his uh, ball club is there." Uh, the Dodgers look very good. The Giants look very good. Uh, the in or the, the oh boy, I almost had to throw money into the the swear jar here, calling them the Cleveland uh, and not the Guardians. But uh, the, the Mets look really good. What's been your biggest takeaway here so far now through the first week and a half of the season overall? I'd say the Mets starting rotation. They have an ERA of like 1.07. That's pretty good. Starter. You're going to win a lot of games if you do that. 
We got three shutouts in 10 games without Jacob DeGrom. So everybody's been pitching like Jacob DeGrom has pitched. Because his ERA was in the low ones for a stretch. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the Mets a little bit more. Uh, DeGrom, you don't need to rely on him. Uh, Tyler McGill, he's an early pitcher of the week contender. He's uh, kind of come out of nowhere um, to fill the void. So, yeah, the Mets, the pitching the pitching's been exciting for the Mets. Uh, the Giants love the Giants. I've got, on one of my teams, I've got three of their starting pitchers. Ooh. So, I like, I like the Giants, and I've been paying attention to the Giants quite a bit. So, their, their rotation's been good. So, not a ton of surprises as far as, you know, teams being bad or good thus far. So, I think the Blue Jays are very entertaining to watch. And... Didn't watch much of them this week is I think the Blue Jays, they are a team I probably uh, want to watch more of. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a good start to the season. I I will say I was a little surprised to see Baltimore take two out of three from the Yankees, even though the series was in Baltimore. I was surprised to see the Orioles take two of three from them over the weekend. Last year they struggled with Baltimore a little bit. They were... I think they lost like eight games or something against the Orioles. I think they were like eight and eight and eleven. That doesn't make sense. It it just doesn't. And the big difference in the division is that Tampa Bay's won twenty one of twenty two versus Baltimore, which is pretty good. Mm hmm. The uh, Yankees have kind of been a five hundred team versus Baltimore. They had a stretch here about a, a year ago where they just they killed them. So things even out and. If you're 10 games better than, I mean, the worst team in the division, all four of those other teams seem to make the playoffs. So who's going to have a better record against Baltimore? And whoever does is probably going to win the division. So who can beat the Orioles the most? Right. Right. Um, but it's, it's just nice to see them, uh, the, the Orioles, kind of beating the Yankees. It's, it's, it's fun to see. Uh, hitter, okay, so is this the first week now we got a hitter and pitcher of the week, or do we need to wait another week? We'll go next week. Next week will be the first one. Next After week. that, okay. Oh, my boy. 15 games on our belt, two weeks. Well, 50 at bats, three, four starts. Got a couple of names. Tyler McGill would be the pitcher as of now. So we got some guys, yeah. Okay, very good. Well, we will look at, we'll look forward to that next week. Um, and along with our NFL mock draft preview, so that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, NBA playoffs have uh, tipped off here, and we, we did a little bit of a preview last week, but we didn't know the full complement of teams. We know that now. The Timberwolves got in as the seventh seed in the West. The Pelicans got in as the eighth seed. The Clippers choked mile, uh, really hard uh, against the Timberwolves, and then Paul George ends up on the COVID list. That raises a lot of questions to me. Like, a was he even vaccinated, and b if if not, like it's just like what happened there with Paul George. And that's the I think the major reason why the Clippers aren't in the playoffs. On the East, the Nets got the the Brooklyn Nets got the seven seed, and the Atlanta Hawks got the eight seed. So as we look at the totality now, the entire playoff picture. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from the first? Uh, first couple of days because uh, we did see a pretty big upset uh, with the Timberwolves over Memphis if you're talking to some people who haven't uh, watched a bit of Timberwolves basketball at all this year 
Uh, they think that's very surprising what the Timberwolves did. If even though you look at it, top like two of the top three scoring offenses at least since the All Star game, All Star break, are in that series, the Timberwolves and the Grizzlies. So I don't know if that, I said last week. Uh, maybe it wasn't on the podcast, but in my in my blog when I was previewing the playoffs, I said I think you know you could see two sevens. It wouldn't shock me if you see two sevens beat the twos. Like this is they're very evenly matched. The Nets and the Celtics and the Grizzlies and the Wolves. I mean the Wolves and the Grizzlies split the season series with each team winning both games on their own home court. So I'm not. It was very impressive for me to see the Timberwolves play the way they did against Memphis on Saturday, and they are my biggest winners of the first uh, couple of days of action. I don't see any upsets in the first round. Yeah, Boston and Brooklyn, that would be the best series. Other than that's going to be a good one. I think Minnesota-Memphis should be pretty good. Other than that, nothing else really looks very good. You're like, Philadelphia's going to beat Toronto. Yep. Milwaukee's going to beat the shit out of Chicago. Yep. And what's the other one in the East? The uh, Atlanta's going to lose to Miami. Yep. Yep. You know, Brooklyn and Boston should be good. I think Boston's going to win. I'm rooting for Boston, I guess, because of Kyrie Irving. Yeah, can Kyrie Irving just shut the hell up? I, I can't stand him at all. So, I like that they lost. So, I'll root for Boston. And then Kyrie going, like, after the fans, you know, giving him the finger, telling him to suck his, uh, you know, genitalia and stuff. It's just, like, what is he doing? He's such, he is such a yuck to, I mean, he's a great basketball player, but, boy, as a human being, he's pretty awful. He's an idiot. He's a stupid asshole. He is. He is, absolutely. Yeah, you should have the stupid asshole of the week. (laughs) And then in the West... I mean, the Suns are going to roll. I think Memphis is still going to win. Just based solely on, I don't see Minnesota sports team being a seven seed and winning a playoff series. Yeah. Um, yep. What were the Minnesota Wild back in all three? They were like what a six. Uh the, oh boy. They were they were not a highly ranked team, but they made a run. Yes, they were, and they played the Ducks, and the Ducks were like a seven seed. Yeah, I think it was a six versus a seven that year. Well, they made a good run, but I still like Memphis to to win that series. Mm-hmm. And uh, Utah's going to beat Dallas if Luka Doncic is out. Yes. Yep. Um, disappointing. Uh, I prefer to see Dallas. And I'm always interested to see what the NBA TV game of the day is. Because mm-hmm. that means nobody cares about that series. And uh, it's Dallas and Utah tonight mm-hmm. is the NBA Series. I remember back in our day, uh, late 90s, when the world was perfect. They would have four games on a night, not three. So, um, you would have two games on TBS, two games on TNT. Why it can't happen that way again, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But they did. So, those were fun times. And um, so, it was important for Minnesota to win that first play-in game to play Memphis. Because they have a chance yes. against the Suns. They don't. Yep. Memphis, they do. So, yep. like Utah, Suns, Memphis, and what's the other one? Uh, yeah, the Nuggets and the Warriors, the 6-3. The six, that should be guy. Oh, Warriors probably win, but it uh, should be maybe Nuggets. You know, maybe Golden State wins the first two, Nuggets win the second two, a six-game series. 
So and you look at you look you look ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at you know Memphis, Golden State, Minnesota, Golden State. And that'd be. Uh, I mean the, the bracket. The bracket's pretty good for the Timberwolves. You know, you avoid the Suns. You play Golden State. They're not. They're not Golden State anymore, so they're beatable. Mm-hmm. So. If they get past Memphis, you know they, they. I think they have a shot against Golden State. So yep, it's a good uh, good run for Minnesota. And I'm not saying that the Timberwolves will indeed beat Memphis, but I, when I'm looking at the brackets and whatnot, I I'm giving the best chance of upsets in a series, and I would rank them probably third. I would put Jazz over the Mavericks as number one, only because Luka Doncic is out. I think if Luka's on the floor, the the Mavericks win this series easily, but he's going to miss the first two games of the series at least. Uh, he missed game one. He's very likely to miss game two here Monday night. I think he is. Uh, I haven't heard that he's going to play. So if Utah gets up 2 nothing on the Mavericks with you know with both those games being in Dallas, I don't see Dallas being able to win four of the next five games with three of with you know three of those games being in Utah. I just don't see that happening. I think Dallas is Dallas is better than Utah when they have Luka. But because that's not the case, the Jazz, I'll give them the, the upset if you're looking at the seeding that that's the most likely to happen. But then the sevens and the twos, I, again, just because of how evenly matched Minnesota and Memphis are in terms of the high-scoring offenses, uh, Anthony Edwards, a coming-out party you know, of sorts uh, for the national media who's maybe not looking at the Timberwolves as much. He had 36 points in Game 1. Uh, if Carl Anthony Towns plays well, and they didn't even get anything from D'Angelo Russell, I think that's the big thing too. Is that if that co- if that trio plays as well as you know can continue to play well, the Timberwolves have a great shot to take down Memphis. You can look at it, yeah, it's a ten game separation, but it's not as um, it's not as a big of a gap as you might think. And then the you know looking at Brooklyn and and Boston. Anytime you have two of the the five best players in the NBA, arguably, and that's what the Nets have in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you have to give them a shot, even though they really haven't put it together, and even though there's not much outside of those two, they can take down Boston here. I don't think Boston is a great two-seed. They play really good defense. Jason Tatum's great. But if I'm looking at the upsets here, if I were ranking them, Jazz would be one, Boston would be, or Brooklyn would be two, and Minnesota three. So don't don't be entirely shocked if you do see two sevens advance in the, to the second round. Yeah, I mean, Brooklyn is Brooklyn. So that's their odd situation of being a seven seed. And I think, that, I mean, the Suns are just going to, I'd like to see Golden State and Phoenix in the Western Conference Finals, and even then, I don't think anybody's beating the Suns. I agree. I mean, Utah and Dallas in the second round, that doesn't matter. Yep. So, and Zach and I was disappointed uh, Sunday night. Didn't watch a whole lot this weekend. And I see the Suns wear the fucking black jerseys, and I see the Valley at half court. <laughs> I'm like, you're going to do this again? You have a shot, another shot to win a NBA title? And you're going to wear these fucking the Valley jerseys. You're basically your alternate jerseys. All fucking playoffs long and home again. Bring back the purple. I love the purple. I love the orange. Any team that has purple and orange, it looks sharp. It looks great. Mm -hmm. Clemson, you go down the list. A lot of good stuff. I don't know why they do this. It's that and it's the courts. 
Yep. And it doesn't look it doesn't look terrible. But when I know I can get a steak, I don't want a fucking chicken sandwich. Mm-hmm. Chicken sandwich is fine, but I prefer a steak. Mm-hmm. So I don't like the chicken sandwich. I, I don't I don't hate the valley. But when I know they got the there the, are the other things they could wear, it's like it, Why are we doing this? It's kind of so. like it, you know the the Chargers wearing their powder blues, or yeah, or the Braves, or you know the Twins. Even I know some people really like the Twins powder blues. If you have that in your arsenal, if you have that as a a, a uniform option, and you know people absolutely love it, go for it. Like I don't understand. Well. It clearly powder blues the, the way to go because with the you know the Jackrabbits are looking at doing powder blue uniforms for their uh, like the baseball or softball, you know maybe football. Gets involved here. A lot of people going crazy on Twitter about th- these powder blue uniforms that the Jackrabbits might do. I, I agree with you, though. The Suns, it's very... When you think Phoenix Suns, you think of the, the purple and the orange. That's what Charles Barkley yeah. wore and, and all the... You know, back in back in the Suns' heyday there in the late 90s. Wear that. Wear that, absolutely. Because um, no other it. team does this. And I guess I've liked what the NBA has done with... Uh, I mean, the, the jerseys, and then you move on to the courts. They got alternate courts. It really is something. You got, you know, home teams or in road jerseys, or you would think would be road jerseys at home, and mm-hmm. just a, a mishmash of all types of colors and different stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I have no idea who's wearing what on a given day. I mean, there were, I think I said there was one game I saw. It was, it was the Clippers. Clippers were at home. Against the Pelicans? I don't know who it was. It was very odd. And the Clippers have gone to these black, just these boring kind of black and white jerseys like the Nets have. Mm-hmm. And there was a game where the road team looked like the home team based on what the court looked like. I don't know if it was maybe the Nets. Maybe it was the Nets and the, and the Clippers where the Clippers had a black court in Brooklyn where they're black and whites. All back in the regular season. Yeah, and the Clippers okay. had red uniforms. So it looked like, you know, a black court, black and white uniforms. The Nets should be at home, but it was a L.A. game at the Staples Center. I'll keep calling it the Staples Center. Yeah. So yeah, it yeah. was very weird where it looked like the road team was actually the home team. So um, I don't know what the Suns are doing, but it sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but best of luck to them, and I hope they – Hope they can win this finally. Just yep. win, win this, win this thing, please. Well, I either said it last week or a few weeks ago, but I'll say it again now. I'm if I were given the option of taking the Suns or the field this year to win the NBA Finals, I'm taking the Suns because I don't know who's coming out of the East. I you can make an argument for Brooklyn, you can make an argument for Boston, you can make an argument for Milwaukee. Hell, you can even make an argument for Philadelphia. But the East is going to beat each other up this year. And I don't have great confidence in any of the four top seeds to, to advance. Again, you can make an argument for Brooklyn, too, and Miami, for, for, all that I met, for all that I care. You can make an argument for all those teams. And in the West, I think you, make it, you can make an argument for two teams, Phoenix and Golden State. Because Golden State, if Steph Curry gets back... Uh, going here healthy, he, he's fine. He looked good in their game one against Denver. Clay Thompson, he can he can add something for you. You get uh, Draymond Green if he can stay healthy and whatnot. That's a, a very difficult three seed to beat. Uh, Memphis, uh, at least a year away, just too young. Um, 
I don't trust, you know, Dallas, you know, if, if they can get by uh, Utah and Do- Luka Doncic can get healthy, that's an interesting team there. But I don't see Utah getting in. I don't see Minnesota. So I can make a case for two teams in the West and at least four or five teams in the East. So by that, just logic alone, give me the Suns over the field to win the NBA Finals. In the West, 75% Suns, 25% Golden State. Yep. I can't see any other team besides that, and I give Golden State just the respect of what they did years ago, even mm-hmm. though they're nowhere near that. So I can't say I can't see Memphis. I can't see Dallas, Utah. can't see anybody coming out of the West besides Golden State or Phoenix. Yep, absolutely agree. Kudos to the NBA for actually putting a third game on this opening Monday night of the NBA playoffs. They are actually putting a game on NBA TV in years past. It's just the two games on TNT. They're actually putting a third game, so that's good. Even though the first round still takes about a month and a half to finish. Okay, just you know, two weeks, but you you get the point here. It takes a long time. At least they're putting a third game on Monday. And as you said, the NBA TV game Monday night, Utah against Dallas. Tuesday night, the NBA TV game, Minnesota at Memphis. Uh, 76ers at the Raptors on Wednesday. That's the NBA TV game. Mavericks at the Jazz again on, again, on right. Thursday. Again, nobody's going to see that series. Yeah, what's that? Nobody's going to see that series. Exactly, exactly. And no one really cares if Luke is not playing. Um, that, so that's your four games on NBA TV this week. There's a game at the end of the regular season, like their retro game on ESPN, where they had the Knicks and the Nets. Okay, yeah. And then they went through, like, the first quarter was the 60s, second quarter was the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. They changed the graphics. They talked to small players. Interesting. Uh, the fir- first quarter was in black and white. Uh, the normal broadcast was on ESPN. This other broadcast was on ESPN2 with Mike Breen and... Mark Jackson and Van Gundy. So it was odd they put that on ESPN2 with your number one announced team. And they brought back some of the 90s, NBA, NBC, the music, a little bit of the graphics. The graphics look similar, but they weren't quite it. So I don't know if you're going to do this. I don't know why you did it like at the end of the regular season in a game nobody cared about between the Knicks and the Nets. Why wouldn't you do this earlier in the season or do a couple of them? Right. A more high-profile thing. And if, you, if you're going to do it, fucking do it. Put the graphics on. I mean, NBA, NBC hasn't been on for 20 years, and I'm sure you can somehow get the graphics a little bit better than what they were. Mm-hmm. So if you can get the exact things, do that. And something I would have liked, probably would have pissed people off, is the score was not always on the screen back in those days. But mm-hmm. here the score was always on the screen, mm-hmm. which I guess I guess you have to do. But if you're going to go all out, I say go all out. You know, in the 60s, I mean, hell, even through the 90s, the score was not on the screen at all times. Right. But it, it was here. So they tried it. It was all right. And um, could have made some improvements. Yes. Yep. I'm guessing you, you have to keep the score on the screen now at, at all times, especially with yeah. legalized betting and whatnot. And just uh, just one thing on the ESPN crew that called the, the Timberwolves-Grizzlies uh, game, it appeared by many people's reactions on Twitter that uh, Ryan Rucco and Richard Jefferson had never watched the Timberwolves game prior to maybe their playing game Tuesday night because they were just bad. The audio was terrible. Like they, they had audio difficulties in the first half 
and had to bring in like uh, Mike Greenberg and Jalen Rose. That wasn't great. And also, the Minnesota Timberwolves are now 2-0 since women started protesting Glenn Taylor's chicken farm. So if we could oh, yeah. just keep getting people uh the some you know the, the ladies to uh glue their hands to the floor chain themselves to the basketball hoops and whatnot the timberwolves would really appreciate it uh because they're two and oh right now when people protest ridiculous stuff who do you think is calling tonight's game between the raptors and the 76ers on tnt Ooh. um it is somebody that I don't believe this man has called an NBA game on national television this year that I know of. Okay, so it's not Brian Anderson. Nope, he's doing he will do Nuggets Warriors tonight. Okay. Um, it wouldn't be Spiro Didis. Nope. He does a lot of college basketball. Well, I was going to say, is it Andrew Catalan? It's Gus Johnson. What? Yeah, Gus Johnson and Greg Anthony for Raptors Sixers tonight. That makes no sense. Well, Gus Johnson coming back. Wow, that's really weird. He hasn't done, he didn't call a game at all last year in the playoffs. I don't remember him doing NBA games, no. Well, maybe, some time, so. maybe with, um, maybe with Mar- Marv Albert retiring. Yeah, that needed to, the spot. Yeah, they needed to throw someone, like, that's really weird. Really, really weird. Um, all right. Well, that's that, that's that's something. I mean, that, that gives me one more, re- or I guess, a reason to watch the game, just because Gus Johnson is incredible. But um, yeah, there's your uh, NBA playoffs here. Uh, I mean, apart from the NBA playoffs, we got baseball going on, and now you know the NFL draft is ten days away. Really, not much. We we could talk hockey if we wanted to, but uh, well, yeah, yeah, we could we could talk, and I would say, yep, that's all we're doing. Well, you went to the Wild Game what, yesterday. I did, yes, Saturday? on Easter, yes, Easter Sunday. And I, I don't, I don't pay attention to anything about this, but I saw the Wild. I looked at the standings for one of the first times this season. Yeah, I see they're what third or fourth in the entire conference. Yes. And they're right. Well, I think they, they lose to St. Louis the other night. That was a big loss. Yep, in in overtime. So they did gain a point, which is good. So uh, can they be what the three seed? How does that work? Can they get this? Because uh, what Colorado looks to be far and away mm-hmm. the favorite here. But then, yes. can if, if they're the number two seed in the in their uh, central division, does that mean they're the three seed? Well, or what weird shit does the fucking hockey do this year? That. Uh, Again, well, you're the third best team, but you're going to be a seventh seed. Well, again, the N- the NHL is just absolutely ridiculous, and they keep going with div- this divisional playoff format, which is stupid. You got to go back to just one through eight, the most points. That's all it should matter. The whoever has the eight, the 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 top team, the top eight teams in terms of points in the in each conference should go to the playoffs. It's not that hard of a concept, but the NHL is ridiculously stubborn and continuing the, with this divisional format. So. Right now, the Wild would play the Blues in the first round. Uh, so you would have, yeah, they, they you would have the three, two of the top four teams in points in the Western Conference go against each other in the first round. Now, let me ask you, Travis, is that in any way, shape, or form a smart thing to do? 
for the for any sport to have two of your top four teams play each other in the first round. No, it's dumb. It's mm-hmm. dumb. But you had the Giants and Dodgers had the two best records in baseball, and they faced off in the first round of playoffs. They did. Yes, they did. Uh, it, it shouldn't happen. Just again, this is not difficult. Just base it on record. Who's the best team? Have them play the worst team mm-hmm. in the uh, in the playoffs. So. They're, they're pretty much. I mean, they're going to play. The, they're going to play St. Louis. It's like it, this is like, yeah, this is done. Like, yes. there's no. They're not moving up. They're not moving down. They're going to play St. Louis in the first round. Unless they were to lose their next, their last seven games, then Dallas or yeah. Nashville uh, wins their final, you know, six or seven games. That's the only way this is going to happen. Now, the one nice thing is that the Wild have played one less game than the Blues, so they have that potential to, to win and, and jump up you know, uh, ahead of the Blues in the Sandy. And, yes, and you, you want home ice because the Wild have shown that they struggle to play the Blues in St. Louis. So I think home ice is absolutely critical in this series. The, the Blues are playing incredibly well right now. They're 9-0-1. They're on a nine-game win streak, as are the Avs. They're on a nine-game win streak. Uh, the Florida Panthers are on a ten-game win streak, so uh, you have let's the Avalanche, kind of like the Phoenix Suns in the in the NBA. The Avalanche are the clear team to beat, as far as I'm concerned, in the NHL this season. It's you know the the Lightning have won what back-to-back Stanley Cups, so it's a little disingenuous to to just throw the Lightning aside. And Florida's really good, but. I, Colorado is just fantastic. So I think it's – if I were to have to – in hockey, it's different because a hot goalie can can change a, a series. We remember what Jonathan Quick did with the Kings years back. But I guess if I – if you had if you had to ask me right now, uh, you know, who I would take, the avalanche or the field, I'll take the abs because they're just that much better than everyone else. Even in hockey. Yes. Even in hockey. Yeah. Oh, uh, so what? Four teams in each division get it. Uh, well, you could have right, or what? You, just the top eight teams in points, and they figure it out from there. Or the what? top three teams in each division get automatic berths, and then it, the the two, two wild, wild cards. cards go to the next two point getters. So okay, so could, it's all. And then what happens? So and the, then they they rank them after that one through four. Once you get past that, uh, so in the, in it the second would, round. So the wild card two team. So the team with the, the lowest amount of points would play the top overall seed. So they're playing Colorado. Yes. Yep. And then the other team is going to play the weaker of the of the the one seed. So it'd be Calgary. So right now you're looking at like a Nashville against Calgary. In the, the first round, I mean that looks just absolutely. So what, what happens in the second round? Do they reseed? Nope, it's just the division. They don't so, reseed. No. So you, nope. So, so Minnesota is going to play St. Louis and Colorado. Yes. We know that. I mean that's the shits. Yes. So Minnesota, the team, the team with the third most points, you have three teams in the Central have more points than Calgary in the Pacific. Yep. But none of that matters. Yep. None of that makes fucking sense. It's fucking stupid. You're right. Uh, we we know that. We know that. Yes, uh, we do. I look at I look at Carolina and the Rangers. Is that a big surprise? Though I mean, you, you got Florida. I mean, yeah, Florida and uh, the Avalanche. Carol- then you've got Carolina yeah. and the Rangers. Right? Those teams expect to do shit. Uh, Carolina, really, really good team. Uh, Sebastian Aho or Aho is really good. Uh, they got Nino Niederreiter from the 
uh, Minnesota Wild a few years back. Hurricanes are a really good team, so that's not a surprise. I'm a little surprised by the Rangers. Uh, they've been kind of in a, a bit of a rebuild over the last couple of years. They've really ascended in a in a hurry. They got the number one overall pick last year, I believe. And let me see. Uh, let me make sure I get the the kid's name right because he was. A- there is a. I mean, in the East, there. I mean, we know who the playoff teams are already. There is a definite line between the top eight yes. and the bottom eight. I mean, yes. we we don't have to. Yeah, so there's, it's four in the Atlantic and four in the Metropolitan. It's, mm-hmm. and I mean, we, we, we know that we pretty much know the playoff matchups here for the most part. So we're going to yes. get what, Florida and Boston, Toronto and Tampa. Yep. Then uh, you know, Carolina, Rangers, they're tied at 104 points. So, huh, that's interesting. Yeah, actually, I think it would be Florida against Washington because Washington currently has 94 points. Oh, Christ. Okay, so so they would be the wild card two playing the top seed, which would be Florida. You'd have Toronto against Tampa Bay, which would be incredibly entertaining because (laughs) Toronto, really good. Austin Matthews this year is scoring goals like crazy, and there's so much pressure on the Maple Leafs to actually win a series they disappoint more in the playoffs than like almost any Minnesota sports team. So they would play one another. That would I mean you have the Rangers against the Penguins. That would be uh, somewhat interesting there. So I think you'd have Boston against Carolina in an interesting series there. But that uh, that Toronto Tampa series would be um, very very intriguing. You have the defending Stanley Cup champions against the team that just. Can they finally get over the hump? And, you know, maybe the year that they have their best team in a very long time, you have to go against the Lightning. Uh, that doesn't uh, sound very appealing. Well, they have a two seed versus a five seed. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 stupid the way they they have it. It, it absolutely They do it what, for rivalry's sake, I, I assume, they, but it's Right. Like... It was after they, – they went to this format after the last lockout to try and regain some interest and intrigue and create more of these rivals and stuff. It served its purpose the first few years. Now it's like, okay, can we get back to one through eight? I think they did this in the playoff bubble or in the bubble when they were in Edmonton and Toronto, uh, the COVID year. And then the divisions were changed last year because of COVID and they had that all Canada division. And then they, they mixed up some of these other See, so that was interesting. You got a little new blood there, but now we're back to the same old things. Come on, let's just go back to one through eight, how it used to be. Uh, the divisional playoff has served its purpose. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense. No, no, it doesn't. And the NHL season is, they would already be in the playoffs right now if the NHL hadn't put in an Olympic break in February, a three-week break, but because of you know COVID and uh they were losing some games and stuff. They had to postpone games, so they had to make up all these games in February. They didn't go, but the season ends April 30th. So the NHL playoffs are going to extend a little bit longer here into June, maybe almost July. Um, well, good. I think they will start next season before this one ends. So it's, <laughs> right. Because <laughs> yeah, the, the hockey playoffs are always a couple days ahead of the, the basketball, and yep. uh, they're still playing. So. Yep. Yep, so it's going to be a little different this year. And I'm curious uh, to see how the – this year is different, of course, but next year, because the NHL is on TNT now, I'm curious to see how the NHL – or how Turner uh, 
schedules the NHL and NBA games because the NBA is on TNT every night, essentially, except for Friday nights uh, that goes to ESPN. Uh, may, uh, I feel I think, like you you do your one night's a hockey night for one of them, and then the other one's a basketball night for. Or they're just going to throw the NHL on TBS and True TV. Something, yeah. I mean, it's you got the same talent, or or uh, you know, you have ABC for both of them. ABC, and I don't know, maybe you put a hockey game on and a basketball game on. Maybe you mix and match. So yep. I don't know. This year is not much of an issue. But uh, next year should be. And the one nice thing is that they don't, like, in years past, it was just on NBC. So you could throw it on the NBC family of sports networks, or the NBC family of networks, USA, uh, CNBC, NBC, NBCSN, when NBCSN was still a thing. Uh, Now, because you have two different broadcasting, or two different networks broadcasting games, ESPN and TNT, they can have... They don't have to try and fit every series into one uh, cable provider. They will be able to divide it up. So that's the nice thing, I guess. I assume you can put games on ESPN2? I would assume so, yep. ESPN2, ESPN, ABC. Uh, TNT, TBS. Yep. You've got many options for games. Yes, yep. So that'll be nice. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's that hockey there. Um, Very exciting. But yeah, it's it, it's a fun game. It, it, hockey games at the XL Energy Center are great. Minnesota does a great job doing it, and it's always a lot of fun. And uh, glad to see a win, a, a playoff clinching win for the Wild. Very exciting. Yes. Uh, let's see. No, no real transfer news as of note here. Iowa State. Iowa State's losing somebody. I don't know who the hell it is. Some guy that uh, was good for them last year. I didn't pay attention to Iowa State. Couldn't name a player on their team. Really, some dude from Iowa State is leaving. What the hell is his name? I think uh, I... Tyrese, Tyrese Hunter. Oh, oh but really? Know, Tyrese Hunter is their best player or one of them. Uh, he's leaving, so good job there. Hmm. Hmm. Where uh, I suppose he hasn't named the school that he's going. I wonder why he's leaving, because he didn't play that bad for them. This year, um, pulling it up now because there's another guy. I think uh, uh, I'm just pulling it up because I want to make sure I get the name right here. Um, Isaiah Brockington, I believe, is he's either leaving or he's testing the NBA draft waters. Uh, but that that Tyrese Hunter, that's that's very surprising. He's from Racine, Wisconsin. I thought he wanted to always be. Uh, with T.J. Otzelberger, so that is uh, that is surprising. So they lose him, apparently. Hmm. Well, there you go. Um, anything else we haven't get to? Anything else? We're kind of uh, this is a short one this week. I put together sports every morning for the radio, and yeah, this is the time of the year where it's like I have to use everything I have. Mm-hmm. During the busy year, it's there's stuff you don't use, and then now I have to use everything and find a little bit more. Because we had things postponed last week because of the wind and the weather. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so, yeah, it's kind of a slow time of the year, which is fine. Yes, it is. Uh, um, next week's a big week. Next week's a big week with the NFL draft. Yeah. Uh, Adam Schefter's not going to be there. He'll be at his son's college graduation. 
Oh darn! I can't. I'm not gonna get any pit, uh, picks tipped off to me. That's a that's a shame. So you're not, you're not gonna hear Aaron Rodgers wants to be traded uh, the the morning of the draft. Mm. And then uh, Mel Kiper Jr. is not gonna be there. What? Because he's not vaccinated. Because he's a dumb shit. Oh my gosh! So he's gonna join remotely from Maryland. I would say, hey, either you're here or you're not. We're not setting up the fucking camera in your house so you can say a bunch of horseshit. Um, John Smoltz is on MLB Network anymore because he won't get vaccinated. Oh, my God. Uh, Toronto, the Blue Jays now starting its home game, so we're seeing what players aren't vaccinated for the road teams. Uh, Boston's going up there next week. Mm-hmm. There's already a couple of Boston guys that uh, well, they're starting pitchers so they're going to pitch in the game, can't go because he's not vaccinated. So starting to see more of that here. Well, why, why could Kuiper be – it must be a a, a local uh, jurist, uh, jurisdiction or a local law in Nevada or a state law, uh, either a Las Vegas law or a, or a Nevada state law that would make it so Mel Kiper can't go. Because where, I'm trying to think, where was the draft last year? Cleveland, he was there. So why is it? Or, or the vaccine, or they, yeah, they didn't have the rules then, or they had the vaccine had just come out a year ago. I don't know. So hmm. either, either way... Yeah, ESPN's rules or Vegas rules or somebody, but he says he's not vaccinated and so he can't go. Well, put it in his pumpkin pie. Well, that just gives me one more reason to watch uh, NFL Network then. This is 39th year. I feel like one more, call it 40, then call it good. Right. Hmm. I'm not that excited about this draft. I'm excited for the intrigue because it, it's there's so much unknown this year. Yeah. Like, I think that the top ten is going to be – you're right. From from that standpoint of, like, oh, they're, they're, like who's the one guy, you know, the, the quarterback and stuff? It's a terrible quarterback class. Yeah, um, when you don't have those quarterbacks, that, that, I mean, you know, that loses a lot of interest. Yep. You don't have a like a running back or a wide receiver. There could be a wide receiver taken in the top ten potentially. Don't see it happening. Uh, maybe at ten with the Jets. Um, the thing about it is, like, there's going to be. So what? Th- this is a heavy on uh, linemen. Is that what defensive yes. linemen, offensive yep. linemen, cornerbacks yep. uh, type mm-hmm. draft? Yep. Not a lot of not a lot of offense. But there's going to be probably a quarterback out of this bunch who's going to be better than average, you would think. Mm-hmm. There's going to be one at least, mm-hmm. and there's going to be some receiver who's going to be great. And there's going to be there's going to be guys who are not picked high that are going to be good. Yep. Uh, so you know, wide receiver very very deep this year, very deep. You're going to get some guys um, as as Jeff and I talked last week. You're going to get some guys maybe in the fifth round or fourth round, mid mid round picks that maybe had a second or third round grade. Like that's significant. You'll see it's a very competitive field this year. And it's just, you know, with sports I've just come to accept the fact like nobody knows who's gonna win these games. And like nobody knows who's gonna be good in this draft because it's we're humans and just we don't know and we don't know how people react and we can't predict things. So it's just the way it is. So mm-hmm. I keep seeing Daryl Stingley Jr. to the Vikings. I keep seeing that. Um, Fingers crossed it happens. I'm hearing there's some maybe some 
uh, he might be getting a little run up to the top ten. Uh, yeah. Well, I hope that's not the case, but you know, if it is, I, see, it is. I mean, the Vikings are in a good spot. I see, like whoever they get at twelve should be good. There's multiple options. I feel. I, I um, honestly, I want to see them trade down and pick up picks if if Stingley's gone. I think yeah, yeah I th- there's talk, like the Chiefs are going to move up for a wide receiver. They have 8 picks in the first 4 rounds. They have 2 picks in each of the first 4 rounds. 29 and 30. I bet they trade up it and you could see them be the first team to take a wide receiver off the board. They would trade up maybe with with the Vikings or with the Texans, maybe with the with Washington. For a wide receiver, so don't be. I think the Vikings would be great because if you want to package either twenty nine and thirty and maybe a first round pick next year, that'd be great. Otherwise, uh, you know, otherwise twenty nine and thirty this year and maybe I I don't know how that would work. I, I would like to the Vikings to get a first round pick next year if you're going to trade down, but if you get picks twenty nine and thirty, maybe the Vikings. I I don't know how that's going to all work, but. I would expect a lot of teams in the middle rounds that maybe don't have a specific need or if their guy's off the board, like if Stingley's off the board at 12 for the Vikings and if Kyle Hamilton isn't there, the safety from Notre Dame, I mean, that would be that would, that would be very, very intriguing. If Hamilton's there, I would love to see the Vikings take him, be the heir apparent to Harrison Smith. Um, but if if that's not the case... You could trade down and pick up a couple more picks, and maybe use that like use some additional maneuvering or get a pick for next year. I'm okay with that too. Yeah, get a couple guys. Those those guys, both of them sound good to me. It's once that first quarterback, once that first quarterback is off the board, I think folks are going to panic. And say, oh, we need that next one. We're we gonna we have to trade up. We got to get that next guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you know the guy from Liberty. I guess is the first guy now. Malik Willis is he, he's going to be the first guy. It could be Kenny Pickett. I don't know. Who it's one of those the first two. quarterback is going to be one of those two. Uh, it, it Willis. You know I mean, is... feel like Carolina. Uh, if Carolina, I mean Baker Mayfield or somebody. If they can't get something done there. Uh, you feel like Carolina's got to pick somebody uh, with their first pick. Feel like you yep. know Pittsburgh, Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh. That seems to be the fit. Yep. Or so. Malik Willis. I, honestly, Malik Willis to Pittsburgh would be very intriguing. Um, it feels like yeah, it feels like whoever goes anywhere, they're not going to play in their first year anyway, or at least start right out of the gate. Yeah, so, potentially not. I mean, like, yeah. here's not the, a good quarterback draft. It'll be interesting to see how these guys. You know, next three, four years, if any of them are any good, because mm-hmm. everybody thinks they're not going to be any good at all. Well, Baker Mayfield is rumored to go to Carolina. That's the land. That's the favorite right now uh, yeah. for for Baker's services. What's interesting, though, is that the pick, the Carolina Panthers have the sixth overall pick in the in the first round this year. They don't pick again until pick one thirty seven. They need to. Yeah, I mean, they need to make that a quarterback because they can't. They can't go another off season with Sam Darnold. I mean, he's done after this year. And if they don't get Baker Mayfield, and even if they do, that's not a long term option. It doesn't appear to be anyway. Mm-hmm. They're, they're kind of screwed. And no guarantee the guy they're going to pick is going to be any good anyway. So what do you do? What, what, what the hell do they give all their picks to? For what? 
Well, uh, there were some picks in the Sa- for Sam Darnold. Great. Uh, there were some picks involved for Stefan Gilmore because they got Gilmore last year from. And where's he at? Where did he go? He ain't fucking there anymore. Great yeah. fucking uh, yeah. GMing <laughs> there by the Panthers. Uh, he is with Indianapolis now. Tell you what, the Colts have made some moves. They got. Uh, um, uh, yeah. Gilmore, Matt Ryan. Yep. Uh, uh, Yannick Ngakwe is now there. Uh, is he on a different team every? Is there is something in his contract? Where he's, all, he's on a different team every like eight games. Yeah, Jesus Christ! Yeah, I mean he, he just it's 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 just that trade bug. He just you know from Baltimore to ja- or Jacksonville to Baltimore to or to, to, to Jacksonville to Minnesota to Baltimore to the Vegas now to to Indianapolis. Like he's gonna get to the to the whole and it, like to half the league here pretty soon. Jesus, that's. That's pretty impressive. Five teams in like a, a year and a half or two year span. Very impressive. But we will look forward to that in our mock draft next week. Uh, one of the best podcasts we do all year. Anything else at all for this week? Should be it. I don't know why this, I don't know why the draft is like this because there's no. I don't know. It just seems so. I mean, who, who picks three? You got. Houston. Detroit at two. Who picks three? Houston. It's like, I don't know. Like, I, just, I don't I just, it's, uh, I have no idea who they're fucking going to pick. I have no idea who the Lions are going to pick. Right. You, that, feel like, you feel like you know who the first pick is. I, 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 I don't remember a draft ever where it's like, well, it could be one of these two guys. Fuck, it could be five guys. I have no I, idea. I, I, I'm telling you right now, Cranes, there's a lot of talk out there. Like, we could see pass rushers. Edge rushers go one, two, three in the draft this year. There, there's talk that that uh, is it, it, it Trayvon Walker, the um, Georgia, yeah, the, the guy from Georgia could go number one to Jacksonville. That's like, the, where's he come from? I, I never heard of him until like a week or two ago. Yeah, that's the one that's getting the most steam uh, right now, and that would mean that Aiden Hutchinson would likely be selected by Detroit. I'm sure they'd be fine with that. Yes, yep, Michigan. Uh, you know, went to the University of Michigan, and if that's the case, then do you do the Texans go offensive lineman? Do you take uh, Iwakwe, uh from from NC State? Do you maybe go with an Evan Neal from Alabama, the offensive tackle, or do you go with Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon? I think they go the Thibodeau route, but I mean, it's entirely up for grabs at this point based on what Jacksonville does. But right now, Walker is the guy that's getting the most buzz right now as going to number one. He's he's leapfrogging up boards, but, and this could all be a smokescreen. They could take Aiden Hutchinson. They could take Thibodeau. Hell, they, they, they could take an offensive tackle. I don't know what the Jaguars are going to do, and I think that's where it's so fascinating because you don't have that clear-cut number one guy. You just don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Maybe that's the intrigue of the draft to say who the hell is getting picked where, since nobody knows anything at this point. A week away, and which what wide receivers are going to go in the first round? Because there's any one of like maybe ten different guys that could go. I mean, Christian Watson is a guy who's jumping up the boards. The wide receiver from North Dakota State, which baffles me a little bit. Yes, he's got great size. He does every you know. He's great size. Has good, very good speed. But he dropped some balls, and he didn't do a whole lot at North Dakota State. Now, granted, that's part of the offense that they ran, but you would think if you have a specimen like Watson that you would try and get him the ball anytime you can. And 
the Bison didn't. Now, it didn't matter. They won a national championship, so rah, rah, shish, boom, bah, whatever. But like, is this another Bison guy that's going to be uh, selected really high and then doesn't pan out? We've seen it with Carson Wentz. Trey Lance, We the, the jury is still out. I, I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what's going to happen, but the wide receiver is very intriguing on um, in this draft. You want to pick somebody that's good, obviously. Yep. With a high pick. And we've seen defensive linemen, specifically edge rushers, pick high. Some of them have been good. Some of them have been not. Have any of them ever mattered? Mario Williams, yeah, a fine player. Yep. I don't know. Like he went to Buffalo, or he went to Houston to Buffalo. He was just like he didn't turn them around. It's like all right, he's he's here. He's good. Like Clowney. Dude, Clowney, like yeah, unbelievable number one pick. He's been fine. He's what on his third, fourth team now. His career is about coming to an end. Mm-hmm. So it's like you pick edge rush, r- rushers, and I mean, you know, Aaron Donald's a monster. He was like 14th overall. Yeah, he was. <laughs> like if we, if we knew it was going to be good, then he wouldn't fall to 15. If we knew Justin Jefferson was going to be this good, he wouldn't have been the 21st, 22nd pick of the draft. Mm-hmm. So if you know who's going to be good, uh, it'd be a lot easier. It sure would. But we don't. <laughs> that so. we don't. But it, that's what's going to make it so intriguing and, and a lot of fun. So we'll look forward to that next week. Anything else we need to get to before we say so long? That should be it. All right. Well, you have a very good week. Uh, hopefully the wind dies down a bit. Enjoy the nice, nice temperatures. And uh, we will talk to you next week, my friend. All right. I'll see you later. Sounds good. Travis Crins joining me here, Sports Block Podcast. Yeah, it's a very uh, unique time of the year. With it being, uh, you know, we have the NBA playoffs going on, baseball starting, but kind of get that lull in here after the the Masters, after college basketball is done and whatnot. Uh, we do have the NFL draft next week, and we will have our mock draft uh, preview. So we will each have our mock draft. We will have uh, Jeff Lloyd, the second locked uh, mock draft from the Lockdown Browns podcast. He'll join us next week, and he will join us coming up here very shortly to discuss last week we talked offensive prospects wide receiver deepest in the bunch this appears to be a very defensive line heavy laden draft class we will talk about the best prospects the prospects that you will hear first and maybe some gems in the later rounds uh at all three levels defensive line linebacker and in the secondary that's coming up here next on the sports block podcast you can find this podcast available on podcast.com follow me on twitter at andy stack and facebook nathan stack and travis crins on twitter at travis crins a link to the podcast posted middle to later part of each week podcast.com and also available on itunes but coming up next jeff lloyd the second from the lockdown browns podcast defensive prospects in this year's nfl draft we'll find out who he likes and who are some sleepers that you need to keep your eye on. That's coming up next here on the Sports Block Podcast, available on podcast.com and on iTunes. Continuing here on the Sports Block Podcast, we are inching ever so close to the NFL draft and uh, delighted to be joined by uh, a good friend from the Lockdown Browns Podcast, Jeff Floyd II. Jeff, how are we doing? Uh, we're good. Obviously, you know, getting here, uh, you know, OTAs underway for several teams now. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, last week we had our 
first round of OTAs for teams with uh, new coaching staffs this week. Everybody else kind of getting a business. Uh, you know, it's in the air, I guess, here. And, you know, got a week to go here for, uh, you know, Las Vegas. Uh, round one kicking off on Thursday. It's it's about time. If you're hearing any more, like it seems like we're getting into the smokescreen season of uh, of draft time here. And there's one guy who is really kind of, I think, at the forefront of this. Uh, but it, it, we'll get to that here in just a second. But uh, are you? How much do you pay attention? And I'll probably ask this again next week. But how much do you pay attention to some of the the rumors and some of these guys who are maybe potentially jumping up a lot here now that maybe we weren't talking about even a month ago? Um, the I think it's very really hard to put a lot of lip service to uh, you know anything we might be hearing right now. Obviously. Um, a lot of agent manipulation and certainly a lot of teams kind of looking out for their own selves and their own best interest in a situation like this. So this time, you know, the year you always kind of got to basically take everything with a tad bit of a grain of salt. Um, that being said, you know, I mean, you can, you know, there's the old adage of, you know, believe nothing, believe everything and kind of believe everything in between. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get uh, started here. Last week we talked about the offensive prospects, and there's a lot of them, especially along you know at the wide receiver position and um, uh, offensive line. You you really like the tight end group, kind of in the middle to later parts of the of the draft. This week we'll look at the defensive prospects, and where where do you think the strength lies on the defensive side? It's it's got to be along the defensive line, right? It's it seems very deep, especially at the top. I think it's a really, really, really good pass rushing group. Um, I, I don't know if necessarily anybody is going to be the, you know, gonna be a Miles Garrett or anything of, in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's a, it's a group with a lot of potential. Um, you know, a lot of group that a group that has been proven collegiate wise, production wise, athletically. It's a special group at the pass rusher position. So we'll start at the defensive line here now. And one of those guys who I, I kind of teased just a, a moment ago about who is making his way up the boards, and now I'm seeing number one in several mock drafts, is Trayvon Walker out of Georgia. I mean, it seemed like it was Aiden Hutchinson and um, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau for, for so long. And all of a sudden now... Uh, now we got Trayvon Walker climbing up here. Like, if we're looking at these edge rushers, if we're looking at the defensive ends, who do you put at number one? Because this Trayvon Walker, I think, has kind of caught a few people off guard right now. The thing with Trayvon Walker is there is a ridiculous amount of potential. And with a draft class like this, where you don't have a definitive quarterback who's going to go number one overall, um, you maybe still have some discussions even this late in the um, this late in the process that this is the fact that you know maybe there is the potential for somebody to kind of maybe crash the party here this late in the process with Trayvon Walker I think a lot of it is based on what the player Trayvon Walker can be in his time at Georgia he spent a lot of time on the inside obviously traditionally he is not going to play on the inside in the NFL he's going to play on the outside towards these stretches down the season in Georgia's fantastic run in winning the national championship you got to see him more on the outside and you got to see the motor and you got to see the skills granted it's a work in progress but if you're thinking um, that the top potential player is a lock at in Aiden Hutchinson I'm not guaranteeing that I think a lot, I think the Jaguars are in a conundrum where they're looking at a player like Hutchinson, who they feel totally comfortable with. But then you look at a player like Walker and the potential that he has 
and obviously you feel with your coaching staff that you can probably get everything there is to get out of him. Um, he's definitely, certainly, no doubt about it, with uh, within realm of being drafted first overall next Thursday. And this is a draft where you don't have a clear-cut number one favorite, and this is a draft where you don't foresee teams trying to jockey up and, and, and trade up for that number one or number two pick just because we, there isn't that, you know, that quarterback out there that everyone wants. Uh just a name that kind of comes to mind because I know his production in college wasn't great, but Daniil Hunter uh, at LSU didn't mm-hmm. do a lot, and then he gets into Mike Zimmer's scheme at Minnesota, and he's flourished there. He's got a ton of sacks so far throughout his career. He's been nicked up and injured uh, the last two years, and hopefully he can regain that form. But when I think of the the potential that people are talking about with Trayvon Walker, it's hard for me not to think of uh, Daniil Hunter in kind of that same realm, and even though he was taken what the third or fourth round, yeah, and Hunter for to his credit was absolutely just a baby. There was the understanding that there was still a lot more growth as a player, mm-hmm. a lot more improvement as a player, and to Hunter's, uh, you know, and obviously to Hunter's credit, he has achieved all of that. But I think that's what you're seeing with a player like Traylon Walker. It was just the extreme, um, you know, athletic testing that was just absolutely off the charts. You saw in a limited sample size of you know what he can do on the outside. Um, you know, for Jacksonville, it's going to come down. It's going to be a tough decision. Um, you know, do you could you draft a player like Trayvon Walker, number one overall, and maybe get a return investment of a JV and Clowney, whether he is a solid player? Um, you know, maybe the sacks aren't you know top of the league year in year out, but a guy who can maybe execute and excels in run defense along with being a solid pass rusher. Um, that's maybe a trajectory that Trayvon Walker can you know, but maybe fall, you know fit into in the NFL. So in, in your mind, then, uh, you, you kind of mentioned Hutchinson earlier. How safe of a pick is Hutchinson? Like, how, how good of a player can he become? I think, you know, you're talking about a guy with the potential to be one of the top defensive ends into the game. You know, um, you know the motor doesn't stop. He's a very, very intelligent player, obviously son of a former NFL player himself. Um, but what you saw in the years in Michigan, and you saw the way he was able to be an assignment-driven football player, was done what was asked of him. Um, I, I don't think it's a question of, you know, whether or not in this draft class, whether or not he's worthy of going number one overall. But I think Jacksonville is in a position of, you know, could this be looked at two years from now and maybe Trevane, Tra, you know, Trayvon Walker made the jump and the leap and maybe now is the best defensive player that came out of this class. And I think that's something that's given, you know, obviously the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars some pause and some hesitation as they lead up to making this first selection. And Kayvon Thibodeau was a guy last year that a lot of people thought was going to be maybe like a slam dunk number one overall pick. And I think, you know, there have been some questions surrounding him. What do you like most about Kayvon Thibodeau? And, uh, like, do you do you consider him number one? Do you consider him number three? Where do you have Thibodeau? I think Thibodeau is right in there in that range. I think some of the questions people are asking about Kayvon Thibodeau are the same questions that people are asking maybe about a Derek Stingley out of LSU. Um, and you had these guys who started their college careers off, and they were really, really solid, solid players. Then we got into this weird area in the 2020 season, uh, you know, where there wasn't going to be a college season, then there was a college season. Um, and you got these guys who had already had their eyes basically moving on to the NFL, Kayvon Thibodeau, Derek Stinley. Their play wasn't, you know, top shelf, so people are going to try to pick it apart. Kayvon Thibodeau, you talk about maybe a team like the Jets, you know, holding number four selection, absolutely in desperate need of some pass rush. He's going to come in. He's going to do his thing. He's going to be a solid player for a very, very long time. I think for some of these players, you know, we get to this point where they've been talked up for so long 
the only way this usually works is that they end up finding some ways to get nitpicked as we basically get to the finish line here. Uh, some of the other guys who I think we need to make note of, uh, George Karloftis from Purdue, he's very good. Uh, Boyamathe from Minnesota has had a great senior bowl week, has really been rising up the charts here, seems like a really great kid as well. Uh, who are some of these other defensive ends that you are excited about in the first, uh, that could be taken in the first round, late or early second round, and then who are maybe some that we should be keeping an eye on for the later rounds? I think one thing with George Karloftis is you just truly, truly love the player. Just turned 21 years old, you know, in the beginning of April. Uh, the athletic background of his days of being a water polo player in Greece. If there were one thing that you would maybe have to bring up a negative on George Karloftis, it was only four and a half sacks this year. Granted, obviously, he was the focal point of every offense that was going against him. Um, still graded out very well as a run defensive player. It was just a combination, you know, it was just an issue of, you know, having that many people trying to take him basically out, uh, you know, of disrupting the passing game. Um, Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State has been a really nice story. Former Juco kid, went to Georgia, wasn't much playing time for him there. Gets the opportunity at Florida State, shines. Uh, you one question there, though, you look at a player like Carl Loftus, who's just turned 21. But if you look at a player like Jermaine Johnson and Boye Mafe, both of these guys are going to be 24 during their rookie years. So obviously that's something that's just, you know, it can't be, you know, you know, you can't avoid it. You can't go away from it. Just things that exist. Um, players in the second round, midday, you know, sec, maybe early, uh, day two picks. I really like Logan O'Hall out of Houston. I think that's a player that can play inside. Um, you know, he can play inside on the early downs if you wanted him to. Um, he can play outside as well. You can bring him back inside on nickel and dime. He's played uh, you know, as a defensive tackle, projects as a defensive end in the NFL, but that versatility is obviously something many, many NFL teams are looking for nowadays. Cameron Thomas out of San Diego State. Um, here's a guy that just basically does everything. The uh, production has grown every single year in his days in San Diego State. Really, really solid player. I think, you know, uh, Cam Thomas is probably a slam dunk selection, maybe for the top 45 as well. You know, top 45 selection really showed well uh, at the combine as well. So he tested extremely well. This is a player that a lot of teams are going to like. And then, I mean, it goes on. It, it goes, you know, further on, you know, down the road. I mean, you have where does David Ajabo end up going? Uh, you know, obviously David Ajabo, Ajabo with a really, really difficult road, you know, coming back from the Achilles. But here was a player that everybody thought was a slam dunk selection to go early in the first round. Maybe that's going to change now. Um, you know, as he was starting to ascend as a player at Michigan, you know, Sam Williams from, Ohio, uh, from Old Miss, a player that's a little bit older, um, but he certainly is a you know, solid, solid, capable pass rusher as well. Uh, you know, continues down. You know, you have Majee Sanders out of Cincinnati, kind of a weird, weird dynamic where he's six foot five, but went through the offseason process weighing around 230 pounds. Um, not something you normally see with a player that tall, um, but certainly had a solid, solid run throughout it. Um, Alex Wright out of UAB is a darling that nobody seems to be talking enough about here. Uh, almost six foot six, two hundred and sixty pounds, long, lean, gets after the quarterback. Granted, it was in Conference USA, but there's player on day three, Alex Wright, that not, not enough people are talking about. A guy who could really, really make some noise as a top one hundred player. Awesome, awesome stuff here, and uh, we shouldn't get too far into this without just mentioning how great Georgia's defense was this last year and run to their national championship. I mean. 
I, and I th- I'm sure we've we, we've seen Alabama defenses have the the type of presence and the, the the impact in the draft with all these guys going high before, but we're looking at a lot of Georgia players potentially going awfully high, even as high as number one with Trayvon Walker, and that includes along the interior where you have the likes of um, uh, Devontae Wyatt and uh, Jordan Davis. I mean, these guys are great. Just overall, can you remember a year where so many great players came from one specific team on a, one side of the ball like Georgia has with their defense this year? I think you maybe probably could. You'd have to go back to maybe the glory days of the U, you know, in their run, um, you know, where they were just pumping out players, defensive ends, Vince Wolferks, obviously the Ed Reeds of the world, the Sean Taylors of the world, those type of players. Yeah, but, uh, you know, Georgia, I mean, you know, the names are going to be called often and early, Mm -hmm. you know, as far as, you know, players from the Georgia defense. And the thing that you look at is, you know, Georgia kind of plays an NFL style of football. They run the ball. They throw the ball when they have to. They play really, really good defense. And the craziest part is there's still probably at least three or four solid players still left at Georgia um, you know, as they look to reload for 2022. Would you put Devontae Wyatt up above Jordan Davis? He, I would say, often got overlooked, overshadowed just by you know how good Davis was. And you know he's kind of a behemoth of an individual. Where, who do you rank better as the, the interior lineman there? I think it was probably it, it was a, it was a close race until Jordan Davis tested and you just saw these absolutely remarkable numbers from a player his size. I still have my concerns about what he's going to do in nickel and dime situations. For me, that's what gives me some pause and hesitation. If I'm going to draft somebody inside the top 20, if I'm drafting somebody inside the top 20, I want a player that's not going to come off the field. I'm not sure that that's going to be the case with Jordan Davis early in nickel and dime situations. But in the same respect, Devontae Wyatt is another one of these players. He's going to be 24 years old. So, you know, Jordan Davis has a huge advantage there. Me personally, I'll take maybe what Jordan Davis can be groomed to be, as opposed to what I know the core, you know the the commodity is in Devontae Wyatt at this point. Davis is a better athlete. Davis is three years younger. For me, you know, I think it's close, but I think when you you get deeper into it, you factor in age and things of that nature. It certainly certainly you know tips the scales for Jordan Davis. UConn is not very good at football, but they have a hell of a football player in Travis Jones on that defensive line. How good do you think he can be? And is he, after those Georgia boys there, is he the best defensive tackle in this draft? I would say you might even want to, you could maybe put him right under Devontae Wyatt when you're factoring in age. He tested really, really well. He showed very well in the senior bowl. Um, played Clemson this year. He looked like a, he literally looked like a guy that belonged in the ACC. Travis Jones is a player that I don't really have too many concerns about. Um, granted, everybody tries to get faster uh, in, you know, in second and long and obviously third down, obviously passing situations. So maybe a player like Jones is not going to see every rep in a situation like that. But a player like Travis Jones is ascending. Really, really strong player. More athletic than anybody even thought, I think, from his testing at the Combine. Travis Jones is another player probably looking maybe late first round. Um, and I don't think that is too early because the demand for defensive tackle is huge in this league as far as you know, setting the tone for your defense. Everybody wants to get to that position where you can basically get all your faster players, get all your pass rushers on the field. A player like Travis Jones is going to assist the defense in just achieving that goal. Any other defensive tackles or defensive linemen that we need to keep an eye on in this draft? I thought Perrion Winfrey had a really, oh, really yes. nice cycle out of yep. Oklahoma. Um, I really, really quick first step. It didn't really always translate into production out of Oklahoma. Um, but granted, he wasn't. That wasn't really what the scheme was. The scheme was basically to get in the way, blow things up, and let the faster players run around, make the plays. But I think Perrion Winfrey had a really, really nice week down in Mobile. Certainly turned some heads. 
you know, in that respect. So he's a player I'm watching. There's another player I love out of Arkansas. He's probably a player that's going to go in the fourth round, fifth round. John Ridgeway, six foot five, three twenty. If you liked Travis Jones and you're not going to be able to get a player like Travis Jones, I think you can kind of get a discount a little bit later on in a player like you know Ridgeway out of Arkansas. It seems Arkansas every year has at least one defensive tackle coming out. This year it's John Ridgeway. He's really, really smart. Gets off his blocks. Really intelligent to understand if he didn't get penetration, get his hands up. John Ridgeway is going to be a guy who plays in the NFL for a really long time. At the linebackers here, it appears that Nicobe Dean, I, who I really like, I think he's you know very versatile and can can help out a lot of teams here, is going to go probably, I'd say maybe even as high as 12 to Minnesota, but you're looking at him maybe in the late teens, early 20s. He would, I would say, be the best linebacker in this group. And then after that, like when we're talking about like Troy Anderson from Montana State or Chad Muma from Wyoming, like these aren't from t- atypical schools that you know from from the Power Five and whatnot. So how do you grade this linebacker class as a whole? Well, first off, my Kobe Dean, I think if everybody fell in love with Jeremiah Wusukoromo's rookie year, I think you're going to look at any one of these Georgia linebackers. You know, whether it's Dean, whether it is Quay Walker. Um, you know, whether it is you know Channing Tindall, Channing Tindall, all these guys are fast. They can run around. They can go all day. And this is kind of what you're looking for in linebackers. Also, you're looking for them. You're not looking for the traditional size where these guys are maybe 240, 245 pounds. You want these guys maybe 230 or less where you can use them to do some safety stuff um, and that type of thing. And I think all, all of these Georgia linebackers translate that way. Um, you know, Devin Lloyd out of Utah, here's yep. another player, 24 in September, great player tore up the Pac-12, but you should tear up the Pac-12. You should tear up any conference in the you know in college football if you're playing at 23 years old against 19 year old guys. Uh, Anderson, Chad Muma out of Wyoming, I think. But I don't think I think we've reached the point where it's not going to be held against you necessarily where you played linebacker. Um, it's you know are you you know can you read obviously can you read guards can you read centers do you know what is coming at you? A player like Anderson graduated he gravitated. Just became a much more physical player, strong, quick. Chad Muma out of Wyoming, really, really solid player as, as well. Um, Christian Harris out of Alabama, obviously a player you can't, you know, nothing to sneeze at there. Um, you know, and then you know, Brian Osmo is another one out of Oklahoma. Um, we're getting to the point now where these nickel package players, they've been doing this since high school, so they're comfortable in their role. They're familiar with it, and they've excelled at it in their time you know, when they've gotten to show it on the college level. How would you rate this group then overall, like in terms of depth? Like, are we going to see some guys maybe fall a little bit to the later rounds that we that you know teams are going to get good value in? How how do we look at this linebacker class as a whole? It's a little bit difficult because the way the position is now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, again, everybody in the NFL traditionally wants to get out of their base defense as fast as possible. The question is, are you an athletic enough player that you are not coming off the field? Um, we saw with Jeremiah Wusukoromoa last year, everybody thought he was going to be a first-round guy. Maybe there's some questions of a little bit of a heart condition. That really never came to surface. But even still, you saw the return of the investment the Cleveland Browns got. Yes. You've got the return of investment of a guy that probably should have been drafted round one. The key is, are you athletic enough to run with running backs? Are you athletic enough to cover and handle your coverage assignment? Because you need to be viewed as a guy that's not going to come off the field. If you are one of those guys, top 32, Top 45 is certainly within question. Are you a roll linebacker? If you're a roll linebacker, you're a late day two prospect. You're a late day three prospect. In the secondary, uh, we have a good battle at cornerback. 
here. Uh, Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati and Derek Stingley Jr. from LSU. Don't forget about Trent McDuffie there at Washington. Like, there's some really good cornerbacks here. Uh, the the cornerbacks in this in this draft, how do they compare to uh, recent years? I think this is a really, really solid group. And, you know, you need to just, you know, you need to understand that maybe for everybody, maybe besides Sauce Gardner, there were some warts at some point um, you know, within their career. And look, I mean, when you're in these games where teams are throwing for 1,000 yards, 1,100 yards combined, mm-hmm. there's going to be there's gonna be some reps where some cornerbacks just got beat. And look, this goes on in the NFL. Cornerbacks do get beat. It's one of the biggest misconceptions in the NFL is that you know, people are just absolute automatic shutdown type of players. Sauce Gardner is a special, special corner with that size, six foot three, one ninety. Kind of gives me some vibes of Nande Asimov back in the day. He knows how to use his length. He's smart. He's physical. Great break on the ball ability. Derek Stingley Jr. I think the thing with Derek Stingley Jr. is he was such a great player during LSU's national championship as a true freshman. There was nowhere to go for Derek Stinley, but down. There was nowhere to go for a player of that ilk, but down. Certainly had some warts. You know, this year against UCLA, there were times where he was just getting beat like a drum. It was not one of his best, best efforts. Derek Stinley at LSU, solid, solid player. I think him getting a late pro day and kind of reminding everybody the type of player he was, the type of ability he has, certainly worked for him. Andrew Booth out of Clemson, another solid player. Two from Washington this year, certainly. Uh, McDuffie and his running mate there. Roger McCreary out of Auburn. You don't like the size. The athletic testing wasn't that fantastic. You turn on the Alabama tape, and there he is right in John Mitchell's hip all day long. There he is running with Jamison Williams. Roger McCreary, you can throw out the testing. You can throw out the measurements. <laughs> can the guy cover or can he not? He can. The guy is a solid, solid player. Uh, Kyrie Elam, another player out of the SEC, Florida. Uh, another player knows how to use his length, use his size to his advantage. Really, really, really tough player. He showed really well in his time. Uh, you got Kobe Bryant out of Cincinnati. Here's a guy that probably looks ready to go right out of the box as a nickel, which is rare to find one of these guys in the NFL. Solid, solid player in his own right. Um, you get to uh, Mario Goodrich, the other cornerback from Clemson. Uh, here's a guy with a lot, a lot of ability, really underrated because he was basically the second cornerback at Clemson. You get to a player out of Fayetteville State, Joshua Williams. Everything checks the boxes. Athletic, size, everything. Competition is the only question you have. Um, showed well down at the Senior Bowl. Um, maybe size-wise, somebody might look to transition to a safety position, but he's going to get a shot at a corner right out of the way. And one thing is people are always going to take advantage uh, you know, and always going to take an opportunity on six foot three, two hundred pound cover guys. Yeah, you you can't take you can't teach height or uh, size, and that's what a lot of these guys have. So uh, yeah, it appears to be very deep, and so there'll be a lot of good value in the later rounds. Can we say the same thing about the safety position? Probably not. Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame is the the best one there. I kind of like. Um, uh, Verone McKinley the third out of Oregon certainly not going probably as the second safety off the board but I think you know despite his size I think he has a lot of potential and a lot of value there well how how do we rate this safety class and are we seeing like after Hamilton which I can't see him falling past 13 to the Texans that's just I, I think where his level is at when is that next safety coming off the board do you think because it could be a while I think it's it's certainly possible that it can come in the late first round. Oh, okay. Because, again, we're talking about these players who had 
you know, defined roles where they play some nickel, they play some traditional safety, and you already can see the way it's going to work for them in the NFL. Daxton Hill, he's got these capabilities. Lewis Sign out of Georgia. Um, Jalen Petrie out of Baylor, who wowed people down at the senior bowl with the fact that he could do everything. He could play corner, could play safety, could play nickel. Um, they're all tested as solid athletes. Uh, Briscoe out of Penn State, he is another one. All of these guys are multi-vested, you know, and they, they are solid against the run. They can cover tight ends. They can cover backs. They can play nickel if asked. And the gravitation of the safety position, and granted, it's these players and what they have done, but it's also the the way this the position has worked. You're getting to this point now where teams in you know nickel, dime, they maybe don't always go four quarters. Maybe they do want to put three safeties on the field. And it's due to the fact that these players can be diversified in what they do. They can blitz. They can cover. They can support the run. Uh, Ron McKinley out of Oregon. You know, you look at um, you know, the, the safety who went last year uh, to, to Miami, had a yes. phenomenal yep. season with the Miami Dolphins. Ron McKinley basically played that role for the Oregon Ducks this year and excelled in it. One of my favorite safeties in this class, Nick Cross out of Maryland, um, former track guy at Maryland, former track guy in high school, uh, ran a 4-3 at the Combine. He won't turn 21 until the Saturday night before the NFL begins. Um, so he's athletic, he's physical, he's fast, still kind of learning on the fly a little bit as to what he is doing, but a really, really solid player, really, really smart player. You look at another safety out of Auburn, Smoke Monday, a little <laughs> bit more phys- physical, a little bit more bigger. He's guy's going to lean on people. He's going to hit people. Got himself, got himself ejected from a couple of games just due to his physicality. That's not something that's going to turn off NFL franchises. This is a guy that can get things done. But this is a really nice safety class. I'm not sure how deep it's going to go with value. But I would say the first 10 coming off the board, I have a lot of confidence in as far as being long, long-time contributors to whatever team drafts them. And see, this is why I love talking with you, because it's similar to last week with the tight ends. I didn't think there was as much depth. You you, you told me <laughs> otherwise, and the same with the safeties here. So do you foresee then maybe like after Hamilton, once maybe that second safety goes, that maybe there is a run on safeties in the higher rounds here in, in, in rounds two and three potentially? Well, I think the potential there is because you like what you saw from these guys on tape, but then these guys did themselves the favor of going out and testing well. Um, and that, it, it puts you in you know situations where, hey, look, this is a guy, even if I'm drafting him in the second round, there's a good possibility I'm never going to have to take him off the field. Mm-hmm. He can play in base. I've seen him play a ton in college in these 51-48 ball games where he's played every role that was asked of him. And that's kind of where the NFL is gravitating to. And, you know, to these guys, credit, they've done well in the roles, but they also nailed their testing. Um, you know, they t- obviously, measurement-wise, you know, nothing, there's no no issues there. They're smart players, and, you know, with a lot of safeties in the NFL in college, they started off as corners, usually got to college, ended up playing the safety position. So they have experience everywhere. Fantastic stuff. Jeff, I always appreciate the time, my friend, and uh, I look forward to, to talking with you next week, and uh, we'll, we'll take a look at a mock draft and, and see how it all shakes out. We are so close, inching ever so close to the NFL draft, but appreciate the time as always. Uh, take care, be well, and we'll talk soon. Of course, Nathan. Thanks for the time. Thank you, Jeff. Jeff Lloyd, the second from the Lockdown Browns podcast. 
it's just great stuff. And he's he's turned me last week it was the tight ends. I didn't think it was great. He tells me otherwise. This week it's the safeties. This guy just knows his stuff and he's so great to talk to. And I, I very much appreciate his time. And that's gonna wrap up this week's edition of the of the Sports Block Podcast. Shorter podcast this week. Follow me on Twitter at Andy Stacken, uh, Facebook Nathan Stacken, Travis Crins on Twitter at Travis Crins. Uh, Jeff Lloyd is on Twitter at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd and also follow the Locked On Browns podcast uh, podcast at Locked On Browns on Twitter. Very good stuff, especially if you're a Browns fan. It's a must listen to. Jeff does a great job with that. So there you hear it. We got through offense. We got through defense. Next week, it is the mock draft extraordinaire. Travis and I will do a mock draft. Jeff will have a mock draft. It's Apart from the March Madness Bracket Breakdown, it's, I think, the best podcast we do all year round. It's a lot of fun to do, so we look forward to doing that. And uh, Jeff's knowledge, again, just off the charts and so appreciate his time. So uh, for all of us here at the Sports Block Podcast, I'm Nathan. Thank you so much for listening to this week's edition. Hope you have a good week. Uh, It's supposed to be hot on Saturday, 70s, upper 60s in the north. It's going to be hot, 80s probably in Mitchell. Uh, It's going to be hot, and then that cold front comes through. Spring is just not going to arrive yet. So just enjoy the time you have out there. And next week, just hunker down in with those low temperatures in the – or with those temperatures in the low 50s and maybe some rain and watch the NFL draft. So, again, for all of us here at the Sports Block Podcast, appreciate you listening. Find us on podcast.com and on iTunes. For Jeff and Travis, I'm Nathan. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week for the big NFL mock draft podcast extraordinaire. That's coming up next week on the Sports Block Podcast. Have a great week, everyone.